kick the jukebox, it's so much fun. Kyle and Louie are number one. Kick the jukebox, kick it a rhyme. Talking about music all the time. Oh, yeah! Oh, hello, it's been a while. Welcome to Kick the Jukebox. Uh, I'm Louie Perlman. And I'm Kyle Gordon. Oh, Kai Kai Go Go. Lulu. <laughs> I've been thinking all day about calling you Kai Kai Go Go. <laughs> and as soon as you said that, I called you Lulu. I know, which is very nice. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good nickname for you, but h- how are you doing? What's how does been it going feel on? for you? To call you Kai Kai Go Go? Yeah. It's kind of cool because it sounds sort of Japanese. Ooh, it does. And yeah. I feel like that fits within your whole aesthetic. <laughs> My vibe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For sure. So, yeah. So I like I, I like it. I don't know. It might take a while. Maybe during the course of this episode, I'll keep calling you that and we'll see if it... Slip it in and if, see if it feels natural. Yeah, if it sits on you well by the end of the episode. And if it doesn't, then I'll promise never to do it on the air ever again. For sure. For <laughs> sure. For so, sure. So how are you? What's been going on? We haven't seen you. Well, I guess actually we just saw you at your birthday party. Yeah, I just had my birthday. This is like two weeks ago. Yes. But yeah, how, how you doing? I'm doing good. Uh-huh. Uh, I um working hard, uh, living life. What uh, The biggest new thing in my life is another piece of pop culture, so I don't want to go off. But did you see that Netflix documentary about leaving the Hasidic community? No, but that sounds great. Watch it. Okay, it's so amazing. it's Kyle Gordon recommended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll recommend a little bit of Netflix <laughs> yeah, if yeah, we're yeah. doing that right now. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, American Vandal. Is that good? It is amazing. Okay. It's mind-blowing. That, yeah. I, that's, I, okay. A lot of people have recommended it to me. I do love true crime, so yes, like you're really gonna like it. But I hate that guy, that actor. I've seen him in other stuff, sure. but I guess he's such a perfect fit because he really is such a douche, and this character is supposed to be just the biggest douche. Right? I, I would say, to be honest, I don't have much familiarity with him. I think okay. he's excellent in it. Yeah, and the show is both very, very funny and also like incredibly humane towards its characters so i highly recommend all right Um, it's super cool a recommendation from you because like (laughs) i associate that guy with like the opposite of louis perlman like what that (laughs) guy like and so if if i get the okay from you then i'm going in i mean that's something that i don't feel i feel like this can this will segue into um our next segment so it's Mm. not going too far off but at your birthday party, something you said to me was, and I was like, oh, this is too much. Because you were like, every song that I put on this playlist, I just thought, would Louie like this song? <laughs> That's true. I, re- I Which is very flattering, Kyle. I, I have meant to say. it. I meant it. Lots of Ramones. Uh, what else did I even play? I had a birthday. You did. Kyle had a real birthday. And it was really fucking fun. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, a lot of Ramones, some Tom Tom Club. Oh, yeah, for um, sure. Some, uh, I think there was some, some Go-Go's on oh, there. Oh, I put the, um, that Nona Hendrix. Oh, yes, the... that we discussed in the first. Yes, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That material song. Material, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, breaking Out. Yes. Or, or Bustin' Out. Bustin' Out. Bustin' Out. Bustin out. We talked about... Bustin' Out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Bustin' Out. In our, <laughs> yeah. in our first episode. Yes. Our first episode that feels like it was so long ago. Because it actually was a fairly long time ago. I know. So that being said, what, what are you listening to right now? Let's get into it. So, speaking of my birthday, I actually have this on vinyl, and mm-hmm. I... Oh, we listened to it at your birthday. We, a little bit it we listened so to it, and I, like, great. was flailing all over the place and, like, scratched the hell out of it, but, mm-hmm. um, so I've been listening to a song off an album I love, and the song is Ways to Be Wicked by, uh, Lone, 
uh, Justice from their album Lone I discovered this song because I was a DJ on college radio when I was in college, and I would try to do each theme would be, each uh, show would be like a different musical theme or genre, and they went all over the place. I did like Ukrainian Top 40, I did um, like Jingoism, so I put like terrible, like militaristic music from around the world. and I would just do like these weird themes, and then so one day I did like kind of like a cow punk, country punk cool. theme, um, sort of like the LA mm-hmm. punky, but like country infused punk. And, yeah, uh, which which was really a whole scene. Yeah, for uh, sure. In the seventies and eighties. Yeah. Yeah, like the yeah cramps and X a little bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, very much so. Like X very influenced by. One day we will do a full episode yeah. of X instead of just mentioning them literally every episode. <laughs> do, we, we do mention them every episode, right? You know, yeah. we just love them. Yeah, and it's, and it's good. worth loving them. I just saw them again and they were fucking great because they're really? always great. It's just like, yeah. but but uh, but yeah, but there were a lot of uh, musicians that were considered punk and alternative in that scene that really were very very influenced by old school country at the time, and it was an entire sort of thrift sh- thrift shop punk country aesthetic. Uh, which is like high, well known and highly documented. Like we're not just like pulling this out of our asses. <laughs> yeah. Here. So yeah. So that being said, right. Yeah. Um, and so this band was interesting because they were definitely more pop, poppy oriented, and they were they weren't as punky, but they they were punky in so far as they like. There's this like long standing tradition in country music where it, they go through waves of like really commercial periods where they try to break out of their little country corner and like go mainstream like the 70s like rhinestone cowboy era yeah and then there's a backlash from purists who like want to be like roots country real country Ugh, yeah and 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 this but like for better or for worse like i feel like this happens in hip-hop too which we can talk about so th- th- you know this whole scene was kind of like really indebted to like a roots country outlaw country type of thing and this band, Lone Justice, it was led by a singer, Maria McKee, and she's like, she's the band. Mm-hmm. She's like a, a dynamo. She was like 18 years old, mm-hmm. and the band got started, and they were immediately like industry darlings. Everyone's like, these are the coolest, this is the coolest band. Dolly Parton was like obsessed with them. Not like, a surprise. Yeah. Dolly Parton has really good taste. She does, yeah. yeah. And she would like go to their shows, and everyone was talking about them. And so they got signed, and Jimmy Iovine, who is a big manager, I mean, he's just like an industry titan, he was managing them, and they are kind of like a like a classic industry, sad industry story in that he was like, I want you to be the, the female Bruce Springsteen, and yeah. I want you to like be huge. And it just never worked out. She was never country enough for the country people. Ugh. She was too country for pop. And, but, like, it's this really amazing pop album, and Ways to Be Wicked as a song is, like, oh, my God, it's such a catchy, fun, amazing pop song yeah. with, like, really, um, like, it's could it's like a good country, like, bass, like, you know, foundation. And, like, also it's that classic outlaw country thing in that, like, 
I'm gonna sing about themes that are like nasty and wrong and like the best line is like she's a female singer in 1980 and she's like you ain't afraid to stick it in. Like, <laughs> like that. What this was supposed to be, like, on pop radio. And, like, she's being a fucking badass. Hey, so here's a follow-up question about that. Do you feel like those sorts of lyrics and those sorts of themes ended up being detrimental to her career? That people maybe didn't want to hear a woman be singing about these sorts of things yeah, at the time? I definitely think so. Yeah, and you know, and, and that is such a stupid shame right uh, you know when you think about when this came out and it came out right around the same time as like something like the knack mm -hmm, like right. my sharona yeah, yeah yeah which is like very dirty right. and then the other single from i think it was a single uh, you know but it certainly got airplay from the knack you know there's a song called good girls don't that i'm really fond of <laughs> yeah. that i don't know if you're familiar with that song not really no well there's just a, a line in it where it's like literally where the line is when she's sitting on your face and it's like this is okay you know like and then right. here's this woman who really is still dealing in innuendo right but it's just too it's just too much yeah you know and it just really shows the difference between what like a group of like men who are considered like rock, rock slash pop are allowed to do right. compared to like a woman who's really is considered country is allowed to do right. you know and and do you feel like that also had to do maybe with the listenership a little bit. Like, was this being, what I don't know about this that you probably know is, was this being marketed towards, um, mainly towards country listeners? Or was it trying to, were they trying to crossover appeal with it? What's the deal with it? I think in, from what I understand of the marketing is they never quite landed on either side of yeah, the fence. They just couldn't figure they it just out. they just strand, they yeah. never knew how to market it. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that was a big problem. I mean, this is like, this, the, like the failure of Lone Justice to be a huge band was not a songwriting problem. Mm -hmm. It was not a credibility problem. Mm -hmm. It was purely packaging and marketing. And, yeah. And yeah, I think, I think yeah, that's the thing. Is like she, you know, to country audiences at that time, I don't think they really wanted to hear a woman talking like that and be kind of like a little punky rock girl. And then pop audiences in the mainstream didn't really have any appetite for that type of country country oh, thing. Yeah. And, at well, least not from a woman. It's also just too early. It, it was just, I, I feel like, like she was ahead of her time. Oh, because yeah. Because she's kind of a proto-Taylor Swift. Yeah, a know? little bit, yeah. And, and, and that's something I've always said about, like, country that crosses over is that really the line between a well-constructed country song and like a power pop song is so thin and right. it just has to do with who it's marketed towards uh -huh. you know and, and that actually really in an interesting way just it's it's might be a theme running through this entire episode because you know not a huge surprise because you clicked on the title of the episode but mm -hmm. we're going to be talking about kanye west graduation and that's an album that, although it's certainly pure hip-hop, uses idioms that really make it incredibly eclectic and, and diverse, but it was needed to be marketed as a hip-hop album to sell. Right. But it could have been marketed as other as another type of, a few different other types of albums as well. Absolutely. Which is something to talk about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but like, this is definitely a song that should be rediscovered and a band that should be rediscovered. Uh, Do you know 100%. what she's doing now? Do you know where she is? So she's had a decent career mm -hmm. and i think that's a product of people seeing the failure of this project and everyone in the industry being like 
whoa. Yeah. Like, she, like, she kicks ass and we're not gonna let, like, yeah, so she did have, um, one hit that was, uh, Show Me Heaven from the Days of Thunder soundtrack from 1990, which definitely sounds like, uh, as, you know, sort of like a mid-career Belinda type of track, which is, which is, <laughs> for, for listeners of the podcast, you, you know, um, our girl Belinda, and um, hey Kyle, remember when Belinda Carlisle retweeted, retweeted us, us and we went crazy? <laughs> yes. And then I tried to get her to retweet our episode and she didn't. Yeah. She's dead to me. I know. I'm joking. Belinda, call me. Come on <laughs> the show. Come on. We'll always love you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. But and she's had a like a decent career and she'll show up on like compilations and stuff. And she was just on like this Robert Johnson compilation, I think. Um, but um, yeah, she's like she's working. You know, um, I think she still tours. She's had a career. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Because as someone who, before you introduced her to me, I didn't know a lot about her. Um, I uh, am really interested in, in following through on learning more about her. Because right. this is like my kind of music. It's right. like well-written. Mm-hmm. It's smart. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's definitely like a good like sugary pop sensibility to but it. But also like an edge. Yes, yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, which I like as it's well. It's like sugary with an edge, you yeah, know? Sugary it's like with a pop edge. pure and then, yeah, like purely pop and then, yeah. Yeah, it's like, you know, a stick of bubble gum <laughs> with just a little bit of salt on the edges. It's a Sour you know? Patch Kid. It's a Sour <laughs> Patch Kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I'm glad, I'm glad. And that it's cute, like, I don't mean to be, like. like yes, you're using she, cute in terms of it being, like. That that can be a negative. That can be cons- right. considered a negative. Like term. the Go Go's were cute, but they weren't yes. fucking around either. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you're. Uh, yeah, cute. Cute can sometimes be a definition of a of a clarity of purpose. Actually. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, I never like it when I do comedy and someone describes it as being. Cute. Me too. I hate it. Yeah. Even <laughs> you know we both do. We've talked about it before. We do this cool theater group for kids called story pirates and mm-hmm. i hate it when people describe story pirates as cute yeah. i do not think story pirates is cute i think story pirates is like edgy and awesome and yeah very real for sure but anyway you know i digress but yeah Agreed. but thank you for bringing that in yeah um and yeah. i think i think you were listening to uh something <laughs> i have a whole cool. <laughs> i have a whole thing about this song <laughs> i brought in that i think you're gonna find really funny please so the song that I want to talk about today, uh, before we get into our main subject, is this song Fantastic Man by William uh, Anyabor. Woo! Thank you. 
anyway, so uh, I just started a new job and the job has a long commute. It has like an hour, 20 minute commute. So I've been able to be listening to a little more music in the mornings. And every Monday for the last like five, six weeks, I've been listening to my Spotify recommends list. Oh, okay? nice. And there was one week in particular <laughs> that my Spotify recommends list was like firing on all <laughs> fucking cylinders for me. <laughs> so, so like there were multiple, multiple songs mm -hmm. from that list that I was thinking of bringing in today uh, that were really within my realm, like interesting dance tracks I never mm -hmm. heard, stuff from like the last 10 years or so that was really sort of in my realm of having a really good beat and mm -hmm. being very danceable but being very smart, stuff like that that I really, really like, some really good hip hop. One of the things that was suggested, which is a song I've been listening to forever, but I was like, thank you for playing this for me, was on that list was uh, Get the Get the Fuck Up by Pharaoh Monk, which yeah, I yeah. love. So, so that was great. And then there was this track. So to be honest, before I decided to bring this in, I didn't do a lot of research into this track, and I just was like, thank you, Spotify, for recommending a obscure, strange, psychedelic, um, African artist for me because that is so in my wheelhouse and then i look today at, you know like learn more about this guy uh william anyabor and he's like known to be a figure in sort of music history of being this enigmatic figure that like is sort of i would say like lends you a lot of music hipster cred if you know about him and i want to flat out say i did not know about him at all at all kyle so i'm not trying to be like oh yeah you know i'm gonna bring in this track like i was just like i think more people should hear this and i still believe that mm -hmm. but you you had known about this for a long time you had heard that luaka bob compilation that it's on right i hadn't heard the full compilation okay. but i had heard i can't remember how i came across it but speaking of my college radio yeah. show, I played this whole, um, the Who is William Onyevor, Onyevor, yeah. uh, that whole album. Yeah. I don't even think I played album. I just, like, went on, like, I just torrented as much of his of stuff. Yeah. And, I mean... Because you're you're hipper than me. I am not hipper than you. I am <laughs> my gaps are glaring and in odd places. But <laughs> yeah, um, my my gaps of knowledge. But but yeah, I somehow I came across this and it is like once you hear it, like it just clicks, right? Like because yeah. it doesn't sound like anything else. And I think, but I think yeah, the thing the only the compilation came out. Five years ago, not that long ago. Yeah, it's so. not that old, but it, it was so. Luakabop discovered him. Luakabop is David Byrne's former record label. Now it's being run by a really smart uh, music historian named Yale Evlev, who does really good work. Um, who I kind of maybe remember being around on a Talking Heads message board I used to be on, but that oh. might be a fabrication in my head. <laughs> but I know that Yale Evlev's running that that label now. And they discovered him about maybe 10, 12 years ago, William Anyabor, um, when they were doing an African music compilation. Mm. And they were like, what is this? This is really interesting. Let's discover more about him. And it turns out that there's a lot of conflicting histories regarding mm -hmm. 
Some people think that he went to Moscow to study cinema. (laughs) Some people say he went to Oxford to study law. Mm -hmm. And this is all information that's sort of pieced together in a really great half an hour documentary that was made about him that Vice made, Vice slash Noisy made, that's called um, uh, Fantastic Man, Mm -hmm. uh, the the, the song I brought in. Mm -hmm. So I'm still learning a lot about him. But uh, I just want to talk uh, maybe a little more just about the song because yeah. clearly, like the background, I think that that's something that the li- I encourage listeners to to explore along with me because that's still something that I haven't researched enough to be an authority on. But I will say that the thing about this song is that it's all synths, yeah, and it the synths sound really like good and tinkly yeah. and like very well calibrated yeah but then like you know it definitely has the recording it's definitely the recording technology of the 70s for sure like there's this analog yes hit hum underneath the entire track and i don't know how much he mixed this down i'd like to learn more about that because it definitely lends to the track having this weird otherworldly quality, like it's like mm-hmm. from another planet. Yeah. But, you know, that's what's so wonderful about music from other countries, and this is Nigerian. Mm-hmm. And apparently he had his own recording studio, so he was doing this all himself, and he was a real audiophile, and it's definitely incredibly well-balanced and mixed. Yeah. But, like, anything that comes from another country, uh, there's going to be different techniques involved, mm-hmm. and it just means that even if they're trying to replicate something that maybe they heard on an American track. Right. It's always going to be through a lens that actually makes it more unique and more beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, and this song, also apparently this guy, and I need to delve more into his uh, catalog, he was highly political. Yeah. This song is not political. Well, like, he was a highly political, like, he was involved in, like, like, literally a politician. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. Right, I think? No, no, I think he was, I think he owned a... I think he had a lot of money because he owned some sort of mill or a something, factory or something, a factory yeah. or something. So he was rich, so he was able oh, to okay. buy all this equipment because okay. he owned like, he, apparently he owned like you know nine cents, which yeah. is like insane for someone in Nigeria. It's like crazy, yeah, yeah. you know. It'd be crazy if we owned nine cents. And he had to like ship them in too, so mm-hmm. it's like double expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a real, you know, he was the real deal. He was really yeah. into electronic music. But this song is not that political. This song is literally about like, like it's like, like tell me how I look is one of the yeah. lyrics, and it's like a man singing to a woman, yeah. and then like there's this weird like synth trill that happens, and <laughs> this woman chimes in with like, "You look so good, fantastic man," and it's just like, but like this is a real musical expression of pure joy, like, yeah. and this is like so danceable, mm-hmm. and um. You know, danceable music has a real, uh, it has like a lucid and intangible quality where just some stuff you want to dance to it and mm-hmm. some stuff you don't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, because not all like, not all house music that like house aficionados like is really particularly danceable, you right. know, like for like a layman. For sure. And like... Not all disco and not all trap, you know. Mm-hmm, right. But like, uh, you put this on, yeah. And like, if you don't dance, to this, <laughs> you're a big, you're a big jerk face. <laughs> this is just, this is like such a good dance song, and I like can't wait to weave this into some of my DJ sets. Oh, for sure. Because it's just gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. it's. 
Yeah, I mean, he, it's just like, it is that thing of, like, you nailed it. It's like, um, like, he was definitely listening to American music, but first of all, he is, like, you know, a Nigerian man in Nigeria, you know, just essentially has nine cents, and he's free to fiddle around on them, and he's, so he's kind of, like, his influences are clear, but really he kind of was able to really have a unique sound all of his own because no one else in Nigeria had that equipment and, like, could play around like that. It, it also uh, speaks towards influence in a way that I think is really worth touching on in that, you know, you can try to write a song like another artist... But it's never really going to come out sounding like that artist unless you're really doing flat-out parody. It's actually right. really tricky. Right. You know, like, just like Weird Al, for example, um, not his actual song parodies where he's changing the lyrics of songs, but, like, his sound-alike songs. Yeah. Those are really interesting because he he's such a... He really nails the tone. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you, with My Dark Little Corner, you have been able to nail the tone of occasionally but i know talking to you it doesn't always happen for you guys right like would you say that or yeah you mean yeah like so, like the tone of like we are a pop punk band from the late 90s early 2000s right you know like although you know you're not always trying to just sound like blink 182 for example for sure yeah, yeah. and that's where you know some interesting stuff because we are at the end of the day, we are a parody band. Like, we yes. are trying to... But you're not a band that takes Blink-182 songs and changes the lyrics to, like... For sure. What's my gauge again? Yeah, it's yeah, about yeah, cars! Yeah, oh! yeah, 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 That's my um, new band. Watch yeah. out, Kyle. We had we had to scrap that song. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for putting it out in the world. <laughs> uh, no, um, yeah, we... Um, yeah, it is really interesting, and that's a good point. Because I think... And I think that that is, like, you know, a, a lot of the best music is people trying to copy someone but they have a weird eccentric brain and they just get it wrong in a really fun way yeah like uh, did you know that um uh psycho killer is david burns attempt to write an alice cooper song what totally <laughs> and look what happened yeah you know um and that but if you listen to it with that intent you're like oh mm -hmm, yeah, yeah i can hear that you know uh, I can hear the similarities, uh, and that that's really that's really interesting. You know, to think about it's like it's like through the lens of that, through the lens of that artist, something new happens, and that's why like at least I feel like influence is really good. Right. And like never be afraid you're ripping someone else off. Like just do it through your own lens. Right. You know. You know. Uh, just take something you really love, and even if you try to copy it, at best it's going to be like a weird facsimile through your own artistic brain. Yes. So go out there. I want listeners to copy this podcast. <laughs> I want to hear a copycat podcast. A weird, freaky, outer space version of this podcast. Oh, Kick the Jukebox? Oh, yeah. man. That's a funny idea for a future episode. Let's yeah. keep that in mind. <laughs> for sure. For sure. So, yeah, that's that's Fantastic Man by William Anyabar. Please check it out. Yeah. And I think it is kind of a nice uh, song to transition into the album we're talking about because I think, you know, we're talking about today Kanye West graduation which is a very explicitly notably synth heavy album very much so whereas that song that you know William Onyabor was like distinctly 
um, analog had this cool analog sound. You know, this album brought like a digital energy to very much so. uh, to hip hop in general. Yes, very, very much so. And it was a digital transition for him because his first two albums were like distinctly analog, a lot of live instrumentation. Yes. Um, like, you know, soul sample, like, you know, more heavier soul samples. So, however, something that people forget about, but what always excited me about Kanye was that there were always glimmers of this in the earlier albums. Like in Late Registration, Mm There's Kanye's workout plan, yeah. which the first time I heard it, I went, oh my God, it's like Daft Punk, <laughs> yeah, yeah, is yeah. what I thought yeah. to myself. So that, that influence has certainly always been there, right? but this is it fully realized. For sure. Yeah, yeah, and talking about this album, um, I'm going to break form a little bit from what we normally do with our podcast, just a teeny bit, because I think it's worth talking now about the promotion for the album and the rollout and what yes. happened around it. Yes. Uh, so so what what happened with that? It's, uh, can you explain it, Kyle? Can you tell the story about like why, why the release of this album was so significant in the history of hip-hop and music in general? For sure. So one thing I have to mention in talking about this album um, and talking about Kanye in general, like I am, I like Kanye's music. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm always... I've always been a fan. I, I, you know, whenever new stuff comes out, I, I usually try to listen to it. Um, but this album for me was, and I think I was mentioning earlier, like off, off air. So that doesn't matter to any of the people listening. <laughs> I know they wish they could be with us while we <laughs> yeah, record while this. we just chat. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, you know, I think people who listen to the podcast know our taste is we like to dig in the crates a little bit. We, yeah. um, you know, we like a lot of music that came out before our time, or maybe I'll find something from 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not really one of those people who's like scouring pitchfork to find the newest thing. Yeah. Uh, I've had a hard time with that as of late. I used yeah. to be, more like that yeah I'm not as much like that anymore yeah i yeah or, or not not as much as maybe some other people i pre- i prefer to like sort of dig in the crates a little bit but with this album i was like invested in every step of this um album rollout and how old were you when this came out this is this I, album's 10 years old right yeah, so, so you I were was like 15 15 yeah, yeah mm-hmm. so i was a sophomore in high school yeah and i distinctly remember because i know stronger came out that summer yeah, so the first single, I think, was Can't Tell Me Nothing, and that didn't really register as much with me. That came out the spring before, um, but, like, I really got invested when the Stronger um, single came out over the summer, mm-hmm. and that song, first of all, was a monster hit. Yeah. Like, it was a huge song, mm-hmm. but I had never, like, I immediately knew, like, this is the sound of the future of hip-hop, because I was, like, a hip-hop mm-hmm. fan at that time. But I was listening to... You have to remember... I distinctly remember this, too. So, because I... Oh, man, this whole album is just wrapped up in... Like, I I associate this very clearly with that time in my life. Like, Mm -hmm. sophomore year of high school. And I remember being in football camp. Oh, nice. And we went... Because it was over the summer... And Kyle, we, that's so butch of you. <laughs> uh, well, I think you could imagine uh, you could imagine me at football camp is imagining is exactly how you I think I was at football camp because uh, it was not, also, not, not that into football camp. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or or I wish I could be in football camp, but I just didn't play football well enough to be 
good at football totally camp. i was totally. like a little shrimpy kid mm-hmm. and blah, blah blah and also it was the football camp where um i was on the jv team right that's right because the jv and varsity teams were all together in this like these weird bunks like we went to this like weird mm. like little kind of camp mm-hmm. like literal camp like an actual camp an actual yeah. camp and so I was like terrified of all the big older kids, and I was like small, and um, oh, it was just me and my friend Chacho hanging out because he was big and bad. At Chacho football. has come up before. Yes, this yes, Chacho. Oh. It was me and Chacho. <laughs> That's awesome. So we're uh, in football camp, and I remember the two songs that I we, everyone was listening to was "Stronger" mm-hmm. and "Soldier Boys." Crank that. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, that was right around the same time. Kai Kai Go Go. It was the. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, and I remember. But, like, that is what was happening in hip hop. Like, Kanye. Like, that was the two futures. Like, the future of hip hop. Kanye was, like, the big, maximalist, synth heavy, pretty progressive yes. type of music, like, mm-hmm. pushing boundaries. And then you literally had Soldier Boy, who's, like, just, like, some kid in his room. Yeah. Like, boom, boom, boom. Yeah, crack that shelter, boy. I always thought Soldier Boy was really cool because it was super minimalist. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, loved I loved that track when it came out. It was it very was, punk rock because that was just like yeah. I literally cannot play any music. I'm not gonna play any music, yeah. and this is just for me and my friends to dance around to. And then it just got popular on like MySpace or something. Yeah, know? yeah, and I mean just to to go a little bit more into Soldier Boy because it's interesting because I agree it like was really the beginning of, there's definitely a lot of that influence in like modern trap as well. Yes, 100%. So so that was very much where that started. And those are very much the, you know, the two big like ten poles of hip hop now, I would say are 100%. like futuristic, <laughs> like forward thinking, like this Afrofuturism. Right. And then like minimalist, you know, dance music. With for like, kids. For kids that, yeah, that is... Uh, lyrically, intentionally, incredibly simple. Yes. Although Kanye intentionally simplified his lyrics for this album as well, so we will talk about yes. that. He, the way he wrapped his head around that and that process was a whole other thing than like right. what someone like Soldier Boy was doing. Right. right? Yeah. But but th- I do think this like this time is one big thing, and then we, this will transition well into talking about the rollout mm-hmm. and the the promotion for this album. But like this album and that time is when hip-hop changed drastically Mm -hmm. because it was pretty much the beginning of the end of like straight up gangster rap yeah like it was pretty much done because famously the promotion of this album was um so this album was pitted um they went head to head 50 cents curtis album was dropping on the same day as uh, Kanye West's graduation, and they were having a big competition in a pr- in the press leading up to this to see which would sell more albums. And I mean, it's so significant. Like, I I do think at the end of the day, first of all, I don't think people people really didn't know who was going to do better. No, um, I because think the, the thing to remember is that Fifty Cent at the time was. The biggest. The biggest rapper. Yeah, yes. exactly. He, he, he was, was the biggest rapper. And, like, yeah. Uh, and Kanye was sort of a weird cult figure rapper. Right. You he know? was like, he was like a poppy. And people made fun of him. Like, yeah. I have a, such a distinct memory, too. And this, like, fits in perfectly 
with sort of the downfall of this way of thinking, but I remember watching Mind of Mencia, the sure. Carlos Mencia show, uh-huh. and him, like, making fun of Kanye. For, like, how is he even a rapper if he's... He grew... He, like, his mom was a college professor. He can't be a rapper. He's... And my perfect Carlos Mencia and, impression. <laughs> and, and on the other side of that, at the time that this album came out, or just a little bit before this album came out, Aziz Ansari was doing literally 70 shows a night in New York City every night of the week. Oh, really? He was such a workhorse, yeah. And so I saw him all the time, oh. like literally all the time. And uh, yeah, and and you know, uh, he, we, we ran like a little bit in the same scene. Mm-hmm. And um, one of his big jokes in his set at the time, which is so funny, and it was him saying, you know, you guys know Kanye West. And it was like, you know, there's a Kanye West lyric that's like, you try, um, you try living in your mom's basement, um, uh, cranking out five new beats a day, uh, you know, every day, all summer, like... And then, and like Aziz's joke was like, that sounds like a pretty good summer. <laughs> like, yeah. Just five feet a day. That doesn't sound that hard. Like, and that was Aziz's joke, like, which is really funny. But like, yeah. what, what that explains is that he was getting like this really interesting kind of niche attention. If it was like Mencia and, right. and Sorry, yeah. when does one mention them in the same breath <laughs> right. in terms of comedy otherwise, you know? So it was, it was a really interesting time. To be Kanye West, I will For say. Sure. And yeah. I think it was the most interesting time. And the most, um, like, this solidified his legacy as someone who's not just the non-gangster rapper. He's, like, the future, uh, like, a trend-setting yes. person that you have to keep your eye on to know where hip-hop is going. But and he's not the future. Uh, don't get him mixed up with the future. Oh, true. hey Ding dong diddly ding dong dong. I'll be here all night. Try the fish. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and and um, yeah. So so they they went head to head. Um, and Fifty Cent lost badly. Uh, pretty badly. And. Uh, it just marked the end of... I mean, there is still gangster rap, but it's not the predominant... Like, because that's the thing. You know, the, the Mencias could make that joke and Ansari's could make that joke mm-hmm. because they were like, rap was gangster rap. Uh, that's it, correct. They couldn't conceive of anything else. Mm-hmm. So it was just a huge... Um, paradigm shift. And hip-hop is, you know... Like, it was kind of edgy for Kanye in the song, you know, in, in the on this album. He's like, "Oh, I I don't wear baggy clothes." That's like, he, he like I can't remember the exact line, but he's like he he's making fun of like, "Oh, I'm not gonna be wearing baggy clothes." You know, I'm wearing I'm not just the pink polo rapper, which is what he was before. But that's like, right, yeah, the gentleman but, movement, yeah. yeah, which was a whole other stage in his career, yeah, right. And he, um, but. Yeah, now it's really common for rappers to like make fun. They laugh at the baggy clothes gangster guy. Mm-hmm. Like that now that's like it's oh, passé. It's passé. Yeah. Yeah, so that that being said, speaking of of 50 Cent and uh and Kanye, uh we recently we went on a trip to Chicago and we found in Chicago 
buried underneath a bratwurst stand. Crazy. It's crazy because, you know, we're so good. We're like real adventurers. Because I, I dropped a bratwurst down into like a drain. And yes. I was like, and then, I was like five minute rule. And I yeah. was just like fishing around you in there. In. And luckily it wasn't living in Pennywise the Clown wasn't in the yes. sewers oh, to pull you in. I, I dodged a bullet on that Yeah, one. you you really did. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So then we found... Underneath this bratwurst stand in the sewers, an entire box of recordings that I think Kanye was trying to get rid of. And one of them was a conversation between Kanye and 50 Cent. And we have restored it. Yep. And it's them, like, hanging out in, like, uh, like a Chicago blues bar. Yeah. And it's just, it's just really interesting. So, uh, and it's weird that in this Chicago blues bar, they were, they were listening to royalty free blues music. They it were, was, it was they really were. crazy. They were, they were listening to royalty free blues music, you know, and it's so weird because, you know, we use so much fair, fair, you know, we got, because we're protected under fair use, we use so much royalty music. Yeah. But, they were listening they, to royalty free yeah, blues music. Yeah, if you wanted to know what was inspiring them yeah. at the time, you know, people talk about graduation he was listening to like the killers mm-hmm. and coldplay no he was straight up listening to royalty free blues blues music yeah. it was great <laughs> uh, anyway let's with your permission gentle listeners yes let's let's take a listen <laughs> this music this this is your this, this is what you took me to see yeah you know just it's chicago it's blues it's like part of my city you know i i'm gonna take you to a club later on to go dancing to house music but right now we're listening to some royalty free royalty free blues wow man i i miss it back in new york where i'm from and uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm just a born and bred New York type of cat, and I, 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 you know, this house music thing, that's too weird for my taste. I'm all about gangster rap, and it seems like you have your finger on a different pulse than me, but I bet you that it's 2006 right now when we're talking, I bet you gangster rap will be the future. No, 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 no. Uh, you know... With all due respect, 50, with all due respect, mm-hmm. it's 2006, and right. I personally feel the gangster rap is played out, and I'm quite excited because I think the future is going to be cerebral, introspective rap, which we haven't had a lot of in the last 10, 15 years or so. All right. You and your skateboard friend, uh, Lupe Fiasco, and your coffee shop friend, Common, who I hate. Oh. I'm sorry that you and Common have had some disagreements over time, but you know, you're both good chaps and you should work it out. I never will. I love to argue and I claim to have ended Ja Rule's career. In the future, he'll make many financial mistakes and I never will make financial mistakes and I'll never go bankrupt. My life will be perfect 
and I will never need to star on a TV show on stars to make money because my life is good. I don't know why you'd be saying that to me right now, but I feel the need to respond to you that I am never going to become an ego-maniacal maniac who is incredibly divisive when it comes to causing stirs on social media and being secretly recorded, which I don't think we are being right now, being secretly recorded. Absolutely not. Uh, and and, and my, my true nature of just being a completely unhinged personality, I don't think that anybody will, will, ever, will ever think that about me in the future. No, that I agree with you. If anything, I'm the crazy one, and you're the indie level-headed guy. That's right. That's for sure. I'm the indie level-headed guy who would never, ever marry and completely untalented heiress who's never done anything in her life to gain fame or notoriety, but for some reason is one of the most famous women in the world. Like, that is certainly nothing that I would ever do. Because it is 2006, and I'm Kanye West. Right. And one thing I know will never happen is your friendship with Donald Trump will never be anything more than just a harmless, benign... (laughs) Me and Donald Trump are acquaintances at best and will remain acquaintances forever. And there would never be any reason for me to go visit him. (laughs) You know, like, while he's perhaps, I don't know, preparing to be president of the United States. What crazy world are you living in? But one thing we can agree on, it's 2006 and we hate the Iraq War. That's right. We dislike the Iraq War and one other thing that we can agree on is that you and I, no matter what happens with these album sales shenanigans, will remain fast friends until the end of time. For sure. Can we shake on it? Yes. 50 Cent? And we shake. And we're shaking each other's hands. Now, let's keep listening to this amazing song called uh, Blues Intro Number 9 for... I think it's called Blues Intro Number 9 for Slideshows. Oh, you mean the one I just ripped off of YouTube. I mean, we're listening to in this club. (laughs) Okay, cool. Great. Whoa! Wow! (laughs) Kyle! (laughs) There were a lot of bombshells dropped in that. Kyle, my mind is blown. Crazy. That was so informative, you know, and I just didn't know that those guys, I didn't know they sounded like that. I know they had those opinions. Right. You know what's so weird? Everything that they said wasn't going to happen, like, actually happened Happened. to them. That is so So, weird. What a weird coincidence. Oh, Kai Kai Go Go. Kai 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 Go Go. (laughs) Kai Kai Go Go here. (laughs) So, uh, it was interesting listening to them talking about what happened because this album ended up grossly outselling 50 Cent's album. And it did represent a huge progression and a huge change in hip-hop. Kyle, why did you love it so much when you were listening to it as a teenager? Why did it resonate with you? Because, and I'm going to ask this because I do feel this is a good album. I feel like this is certainly an album worth a Kick, Kick the Jukebox episode about, for sure. But that being said, 
this is not Kanye's best reviewed album. Mm -mm. And this represents a transitionary time for him in terms of what he was trying to do. And he's throwing a lot at the wall. And some of it, in my opinion, is rather muddled. Yeah. Right? So, but you, as a 14-year-old kid, or sorry, 15 at the time. I'm sorry, you were 15 when this came out. You loved it. Um, Why do you love it so much? First of all, it was the way forward. And it was the coolest, most interesting pop music to me Mm -hmm. out at the time that summer and that year because this is ushering in the school year too this came out the beginning of of september it it actually came out um unfortunately on september 11th but it makes it really easy to remember the date yes so yeah so it came out right at the beginning of your school year sure i'm going back to school new school new new not new school but new school year Mm -hmm. new me and this is just like the most um interesting challenging pop yeah uh, coming out challenging is a great challenging is a great word for this album yeah fucking dense this album it takes a lot of listens both sonically and lyrically it's very dense yeah Yeah. and i think it i was kind of just really starting to get into hip-hop and so it kind of molded because before that i was like kind of snobby in that not snobby but i you know, I was kind of listening to like alt alternative hip hop, like oh, uh-huh. alternative like indie yep. uh, hip hop, more like that type of stuff. So like that's sort of what drew me into hip hop too. Yeah, and I, I think it's an interesting gateway. Like for me, I feel like we've talked about this a little bit before on this podcast, but for me, it was like Del the Funky Homo Sapien, yep. and it was like all that, all those damn the Automator projects, yep, which for sure. listening back to them now, mm-hmm. I really think, uh, especially everything Dan the Automator has done, has held up really well and was actually very forward thinking musically at the time. Yeah. But that being said, like I don't know if I would have touched any gangster rap with a ten foot pole, and <laughs> yeah. like, and I'll I'll be the absolute first to admit, like. That that shows, you know, as as at the time, you know, growing up in Canada and, and being and not really being around a lot of, um, you know, African-American people. Um, it definitely it's demonstrative of like a racial bias that mm-hmm. there is like I couldn't get over that hump of like really understanding where these people were coming from with their music. And For I sure. and I hope that I'm getting better at it as mm-hmm. I grow older. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's interesting because I think that was. Um, that's always been a balance for me because I grew up in like a predominantly white suburban town too. Mm-hmm. And, but like, it was also that thing of Get Rich or Die Trying, the first 50 Cent album, was the biggest thing to happen in my town. Like, everyone, everyone listened to that, listened to that album. And that, t- like, people had the t-shirts, like, it was the biggest. Hence the difference between uh, U.S. and Canadian culture. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest differences is that you can be a kid in, like, white America, but um, African-American culture is so gorgeously pervasive mm-hmm. in all facets of American life mm-hmm. uh, and it has to do obviously with the way what happened with this country and the way you know the, the history of the racial history of this country mm-hmm. Canada it isn't like that it's mm. there's less African Americans in Canada 
Uh, so just the makeup is different. The racial makeup is different. But also it just has to do with the entire way that slavery went down in Canada. Right. You know? So, yeah. So, you know, you could really not listen to hip-hop and still be a music fan in Canada. Mm-hmm. Instead, you'd be listening to fucking bare naked ladies <laughs> fuck you bare naked ladies it's been it hurts brown but you can also be listening to you know um just a little shout out because i did want to address this on this podcast like canada last week lost it's like yes yes like the poet of rock and roll Gord downey yeah from tragically hip and growing up tragically hip is an interesting example of just the difference in the culture because Growing up, when I was a teenager, Tragically Hip, that was being listened to by jocks. That was like jock wow. bar band music. And then, in retrospect, and at the time, I did not listen to that music. At the time, that music was for my friends that would go to those shows, drink too much, and then have to get their stomach pumped at the hospital. Yeah. That literally happened to like three of my friends in high school. <laughs> like, I'm not exaggerating. But... Um, in retrospect, that music, it turns out that he was a really sophisticated lyricist. Uh-huh. And uh, musically, that music is actually gorgeous. And, like, they're just a wonderful, like, blues-influenced blues band. Mm-hmm. Um, I have nothing but respect for that band now. But it shows that even the music that was sort of bro in Canada sort of mm. still steered towards, like, kind of the weird and the, like, iconoclastic, you uh-huh. know? Uh, whereas, like you know the biggest thing that you're listening to is like like gangster rap like huge 50 cent like right. this is huge and like very direct in yep. a way that i think canadian culture is not right yes yeah i would say so yeah and that was i think molding you know balancing those influences for me like wanting to listen to like sophisticated challenging interesting quirky rap but also acknowledging that, first of all, I'm like a young kid and I want to listen to the most like dangerous uh, like thing that would piss my parents off. Mm-hmm. you know. And that's what kind of what 50 Cent was. Definitely. It was like the anti-parent music and that was what yeah. was great. Because um, all those guys were super punk. Yeah, in a, yeah. In a weird way. Like, I, don't, uh, I, mean, I would say not even in a weird way. Yeah. I would say that so much of the energy that created punk created hip-hop. Yeah. We talked about this before and it's still... To me, hip hop. Whenever I listen to any type of hip hop, I'm like, "Oh yeah, this is just punk. This is just punk music right. through a different lens." And the, the, not, not to diminish hip hop, nor no. that punk is just hip hop. You know, because I the think hip hop is in terms of like yeah, little musical ability, little technical skill, mm-hmm. little uh, means, mm-hmm. and will make something really cool. Yeah, um, totally. And so, like, but. And, but then also I love pop music and mm-hmm. so this combined everything for me and like and also I you know I will a lot of times value something different over something like like we like pop with like a weird new take mm-hmm. um, and that's what this really felt like to me and i really didn't listen to that much electronic music at the time i listened to hardly any electronic mm-hmm. so to this this was an introduce introduction to like synths yeah and like you know um and so this was like really interesting and i remember i had like a midi keyboard and i had like you know recording software and i would try to pretty much make like beats that sounded like graduation and an- another thing is like the drum 
like drum beats, like the actual sound of like the snares and kick drums. I am convinced that like revolutionized like how um, hip hop drums sound because he got sounds out of this I'd never heard. Like it was like the snares would sometimes sound like radio static, yes, or and like or it would be like big, like it could be really thin and tinny, or it could be huge and like eighties like reverby drums yes. that had never been really heard on hip-hop like it was those hip-hop drums were like before were like you know pretty standard like those 90s like hip-hop drums i was reading uh today that he did i think it's 24 different mixes of stronger before he decided on his final mix yep and he was working with different engineers from all over the world on the song because he had such a specific uh, idea as to how the song was supposed to sound. Yeah. And at the end of the day, he created a very clean sound that's incredibly nuanced. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, um, I would say that the hip-hop sound, and this is like going back to our beloved Wu mm-hmm. and like the RZA, mm-hmm. Uh, they reveled in the static of the sample of a record. Right. And this, he endeavored to literally, there's a lot of samples in this album, and he endeavored to remove the static right. from all of the samples. Yeah. And create make the samples completely otherworldly. Yep. You know, like he samples Michael Jackson on this record. He yep. samples Laura Nero on this album. Yep. Um, Can't, well, not samples can, but he like... Yeah, references can. Yeah, he like he like basically takes a can song and then like rewrites it. Yeah, to his own, for drunken his own... hot girls, which is also my least favorite song on the album. Yeah, it's a little boring, yeah, right? That it's... one's very boring. And Barry Bonds is like feels off. That's the one with him and Lil Wayne, who's the only uh, feature on there. Barry Bonds is kind of a little boring, but yeah. But I but and I remember those are the two I'd always <laughs> skip when I was. And and this is just a good time to bring this up just while we're talking about the samples on this album is that, um, you know, we always do a listen along list that's a Spotify list and we'll definitely include some of the source sample songs from this album on it. For sure. And it's a really, really good way to like, you know, sometimes in this podcast, but you know, we rattle through, we talk about artists very quickly Mm -hmm. that we may have more of a familiarity with, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm a big fan of Laura Nero Mm -hmm. and, but she's worth listening to on her own. So Mm -hmm. there's at least going to be one Laura Nero song on that, on that, um, soundtrack. So, or on that, on that playlist. So, um, Lincoln bio, blotty fucking blah. But anyway, I just thought it would be a good thing to mention at this point. Yeah. Yeah. But back to the album. Um, um, yeah, I would just say kind of just to there's a lot to talk about, but um, I think "Flashing Lights" yeah, as the it's song gorgeous. is. I love it. I mean, that is the like cornerstone of this album, in my opinion. I think it's my favorite song on this album. Either that yeah. one or "Good Life," which he like yeah. wasn't even a big fan of, but it's right. just like such a killer, good like sugary pop. Hit, yeah, it's very you know? sugary, very pop. And I yeah. remember the video was like uh, him and T Pain in a white, you know, just kind of white room, and all these like 
fun little bubble letters popping yeah. up, like sugary, like little, literally looks like candy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, which is my favorite. I'm on a diet where I can't have candy right now, so all my candy. Don't watch that video. All my candy right now is aural candy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, flashing lights, and then I remember that was in a, uh, a Grand Theft Auto, and it I didn't get sick of it because you'd drive around in Grand Theft Auto and they'd have radio, and that song would always be playing in that game. But um, it uh, it's just like the pure encapsulation of um, it could have been like a really good electronic like European dance song, but it just is like he made it a hip hop song and it's interesting and it's driving. It's not like, you know, plotting like Drunken Hot Girls is and um, it's kind of self-reflective about his newfound fame and kind of, you know... Um, hinted at later themes of him literally having like nervous breakdowns on songs about not how knowing how to deal with fame which can be interesting and a bit voyeuristic for us as you know fans but mm-hmm. um it very valid yeah. yeah 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 you know flashing lights and it's only one step away from like we found love yeah. You know, and, and what happened with this album is I think this album opened the floodgates for what needs to be described as a European sound yep. into modern pop music. Um, yeah. And there was like 10 years of this. No, I wouldn't say 10 years. There was five years of this. Yeah. And you know what? I loved that period for pop music. Yeah. And I miss it. Yeah. I'm very nostalgic for like the mid aughts, the right. mid to like to the, the early uh, the early teens right. and it's not in vogue anymore right but all of uh, there was so much hip hop and so much pop that sounded like uh, good uh, European house music right and it was because of this album for sure and he was very influenced by Chicago House mm-hmm. and you know and European House was influenced by Chicago House so right. it's just all this sort of conglomeration of all this stuff thrown together this big stew of of thumpy thumpy yeah you know but that relates to um you know this daft punk sample yeah which is really interesting yeah in retrospect you know this was this sample by this french house duo Mm -hmm. and although at the time they were popular they were popular with a very specific segment of the population mm-hmm. and this certainly made took them into the mainstream in a way that would like catapult them into being legitimate superstars on the same level as Kanye and right. that would never have happened without this uh, this him sampling them for sure yeah yeah and 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 i think you you nailed it right because they were they had hits in that you know people were going to clubs in America but in terms of like a normal average Joe listening like you know the real pop charts it was still either like gangster rap or like rock and roll yeah like well it was like alternative at the alternative time alternative it was, rock it was, it was some of the shit that we're gonna talk about cause Kanye really liked it yeah it was Coldplay yeah and uh Maroon 5 right and The Killers yep and stuff that personally I, I don't like any of that music. Uh-huh. I can't get into it. Yeah. I don't like The Killers, and yeah. I certainly have tried, and yeah. I think that it's crummy music. Yeah, I yeah. think it's just 
you know, kind of milk toasty yeah. and like it doesn't hit me in any sort of visceral way. Yeah. But he he really liked this stuff at the time. Yeah. Why do you think that was? Uh, there's definitely an influence of that on this album as well. It's worth talking about. Well, I think for one, they that was that weird period. Well, I definitely was listening to that music at the time. Yes, yeah, so you, you might be able to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it definitely hasn't aged well. I, I, I do still kind of like The Killers, uh-huh. but Coldplay and, um, you know, like Keen or something, or like uh, <laughs> I The even, Fray. Yeah, yeah like I vaguely they, remember that yeah, shit. Like, but Coldplay can go... They can... Yeah, they, they, can, they, can, they can get, go, they, get they, gone. Yeah, they can, they can, they can go, go get up your nose with a rubber hose, Coldplay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but they were... You know, getting more synthy at the time, yeah. and like the Killers were kind of the first band to like sort of meld the like it's they're definitely an alt rock band, but they are also you know definitely have have like synthy pre programmed stuff, um, and so I think he saw and liked that they were drifting in that direction, and hip hop wasn't even touching it with a 10-foot pole at that time. That's right. And, uh, and he wanted to... And I think he always thought above and beyond hip-hop. And, like, later on, he would say, like... He's like, when I when my album comes out, I don't even want it to be compared to hip-hop albums. I don't want to be in the same breath as hip-hop artists. I want to be something above and separate from it. Which is definitely indicative of his... Uh, egotism yeah. and and what ended up happening with him as right. a, as a personality, right? Because you know to release an album that's so specifically in a genre, and this is unabashedly a hip hop record, yeah. And then to be like, this is above hip hop, like right. that doesn't sit well with me and how yeah. I feel about the way art works and right. the way that you know. I don't think he was there at this album, but later on, I think oh he kind of got to that yeah. place, but. Yeah. Did he ever? Yeah, my yeah. god. Yeah, totally. But but this album is muddy and transitional. Uh-huh. And and you know, as we said, there's certain tracks that don't work on this album. Mm-hmm. There's certain tracks that are just incredibly stellar, but yeah. overall it just opened the floodgates for a completely different type of music, for you sure. know, to permeate the mainstream. Yep. Yeah. I agree. And 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 it also was just an interesting, you know, to go back a little bit to Kanye's career just to sort of wrap up. Yeah. Um you know, people forget that, like, before this album, hip-hop was... There was the mainstream hip-hop that was yeah. gangster rap, but then there was this alternative yes. indie scene that was bubbling up, like the most deaf Talib Kweli type thing, Common, Mad Lib with MF Doom was kind of getting big, or not getting big, but actually not getting big at all, but they were kind of, like, bubbling under the surface, but it was like, that was what, mm-hmm. you know nerdy you know college like uh hip-hop for college kids and, yeah like, it and was stuff. um it, uh, granola hip-hop yeah, yeah right. backpack backpack yeah. hip-hop right yeah. right exactly and kanye was of that like he was of yes, that was. world yes but like then you know that's why it's so interesting um the song the last song on the album on the, the official album is big brother which is like his song to jay-z yeah which i think is interesting because he could have easily written that to Common, who's another Chicago rapper sure. who he came up with, mm-hmm. who he's collaborated collaborated with a ton. Yeah, he was working on Common's album at he, the time. Yeah, which yeah. also was definitely in de- like followed in this yes. kind of vein, very like futuristic synthy. Um but 
I think Kanye, oh, he was in that indie scene and he always wanted to make cool stuff. Um, but I think his goal was always to be like an arena rock star, you know? Yes, and and uh, touring with U2 influenced this this album mm-hmm. uh, ex, you know, exponentially. He wanted to, this was his arena rock album as well. Like that yep. is interesting to touch on. Yeah. And he simplified his lyrical style so that his raps would play better in arenas. Yeah. But if this is simplifying your lyrical style, that's really quite incredible. Yeah. Because, you know, as I said before, so much lyrical information is conveyed in this in this album. Yep. And, and in terms of him being from the world of alternative rappers, mm-hmm. yes, certainly. However, I'd also want to argue that sampling can on a hip-hop album yeah. is basically like playing a guitar on a garage rock <laughs> yeah, yeah, album. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's true, something true. that literally from the moment that like, you know, like the first records that were that were mixed at like Cool Herc's parties <laughs> were can records. True, true. You know, so like so there's always been an incredibly interesting tie-in between uh, the hip hop world and uh, sort of the crate digging, very geeky, yeah, uh, prog rocky world yeah. that like Can comes from True. or is is known for in other ways, and it's always just been because hip hop has always been just geeks, yeah, right for sure, yeah for sure. You know, as we said about you know Wu Tang as well, you know they were all comic book geeks. Yep, Kanye was listening to like you know these like Can tracks. Oh, like, he's a weirdo. Yeah. He's a weirdo. African Bombada, he was like in a gang, but then also he was like in listening to Kraftwerk. And, yes, you know, like... and and Africa Bombada. Th- this is actually kind of a cool little. This is a little bit of an aside, but to talk about, I I was just at Comic Con, of fucking of course, and but I just <laughs> met Ed Pisker, oh, yeah. who's the guy who wrote Hip Hop Family Tree, mm-hmm. and it was like such an honor to meet him because uh, I highly recommend seeking out Hip Hop Family Tree if you've never read it. It is a graphic novel, the story of hip hop as a as a graphic novel, mm. and what it does is it very very clearly draws the lines between uh, the big figures of hip hop and it like basically makes them into superheroes. <laughs> you know, like like there's something about the way he portrays Run DMC, for example, <laughs> where it's like you could see them fitting within the Marvel universe, <laughs> and like Africa Mabata as well, like all of his outfits and stuff. Oh like, man, he you know that once again it's afrofuturism and uh definitely there's a, a heavy dose of like jack kirby in there mm-hmm. and that, that's like very interesting to draw that parallel and i'd say there's actually a very heavy dose of like you know i'd argue like jack kirby fantastic four in graduation as well yeah you know? yeah yeah for sure yeah there's definitely a kind of a larger than life um it, it, it's like it's very maximalist uh, yes. the album, but then also like grandiose and crackling with energy. Yep, yeah, a hundred percent. And but then also, what's so interesting about Kanye is that like, especially from this period on, I think this also marked the period when he stopped being funny. He yeah. was. He is taking. He takes himself more seriously than anyone has ever taken themselves. Yes, and um. And I think that's what kind of makes him funny in a weird way in that, like, you kind of laugh at him. Like, he takes him, like, the idea of, 
like I think that's what Aziz was making fun of. Like mm-hmm. he's like, I had to stay in my room all summer and make five beats a day. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like and and like you know he's like uh and he's like. I wore a suit to the Grammys and I looked kind of like a Guido, but I don't care. I can wear whatever I want. <laughs> yeah. and like, yeah. You know, like, yeah. And like, he, he, like, to him, like, you know, wearing the wrong outfit or whatever he talks about, like, you know, whatever, like, uh, you know, I have to deal with a drunken hot girl, which whatever has its own baggage but yeah um, yeah that's but a like other thing. but he's like that those these are the most serious themes that he could th- like mm-hmm. and so it does kind of take on this weird uh like these huge arena rock songs about like sort of like silly mundane surface yeah, level the topics good, the good life and, yeah and yeah. um yeah absolutely and Two months after this album came out, his mother passed away. Yep. And his career would take on a trajectory that could never have been anticipated at the time. For sure. For sure. I think that's graduation, Kyle. We graduated. (laughs) Eep. Uh, So, um, we're going to go down a sample rabbit hole for our uh, extra segment. Yep. So, okay. So, Kanye sampled a song called Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger. Mm -hmm. From Daft Punk's 2001 album Discovery, mm-hmm. which is one of my all-time favorite albums. It's great. Yeah, it it just uh, it all the way through is amazing. Yeah, and also all the way it also they made a, an entire anime. Have you oh, ever for, seen this? I've, I only huh? saw the one uh, one more time. There's uh, that part. There is an entire... The album in track order is the score to an entire anime. That's amazing. Called Interstellar 5555, Secrets of the Solar Star System. <laughs> That's amazing. I like so much. <laughs> so I, I'm, a, I'm a big Daft Punk fan. Um, I, I really like them, especially that album. That album like really hits it for me. I gotta watch that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll have to watch it together sometime. Yeah. But... Uh, they were notorious samplers. Mm-hmm. And there are certain songs of theirs that are literally just samples. Right. And, and, and they, around the world, I feel like. Around the world. Isn't that... I think no, that, no, actually. That, I think, may have been a sample, but that is inventive, what they do with it. Uh. But um, Robot Rock... Yeah, Robot yeah, yeah. Rock is just this song called Unleash the Beast. Like, it's literally <laughs> just that song with, like, the lyrics taken out, which is really upsetting. Yeah. Um, and uh, Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger, the sample is a cola, cola bottle baby. Okay. And Kyle's never heard it. Nope. Uh, it's by this artist named Edwin Birdsong. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to play it for Kyle. This is fucking great. <laughs> and then we're going to talk about it. <laughs> Funky disco track, but it had like 
it was a little weird and cool. Yeah, yeah, actually a little William uh, on Onyabar. Yeah, for sure. There's some real unique things about that song that I think is what drew Daft Punk to it to sample. There's that like clanging sound in mm-hmm. the song, and while we were listening to it, we were trying to figure out what it was. Well, this will be a good uh, thing for all of our loyal fans out there to investigate. <laughs> My theory is I think it's just a really big symbol, and he's hitting the center of a symbol, and that's yeah. why it's not like ringing out so much. It's kind of more like a clanging sound. But... Yeah, it's like a muted clang. Yeah. It's very cool. Yeah. Uh, I like it a lot. Uh, and the song is soda-themed. Yeah. Cola bottle, baby. Yeah. And there's the whole fizz fizz. Fizz, 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 fizz. Uh, I love songs that are themed after food or candy. Yeah. It's like one of my things. Um, so <laughs> I, sure. I, I like that about it. But it's definitely an example of like funk music. You know, when you think of funk, you think of it being pretty, I, I'd say pretty straightforward, dance oriented, mm-hmm. but definitely with a groove. But like, there's a lot going on in the song. There's a lot of layers in the song. Kind of jazzy in mm-hmm. a weird way. And also a little proggy as well. A little proggy, yeah, for sure. And mm-hmm. like, in, in also in that way, I think in proggy is like, it's got, I feel like two bridges or something. I mean, I only listen, I feel like there are a lot of different, uh, the, the, the actual like, um, structure of the song mm-hmm. is odd. I yes, think. I agree with that in a way that's really cool. Yeah, for sure. And uh, and it's got a great groove. Yeah. And, and of course, that's why Daft Punk chose to sample it. Yeah. So my follow-up question for you, because this is sort of, there's a, a lot said about this regarding Daft Punk, so I feel it's worth touching on. Do you feel like what they did with this is creative? Or do you feel like Really, all they did is they took the sample, which in itself is very rich, mm. and really did something very simplistic and easy over top of it. With like with with this song, you could make that. I feel you could make that argument. Right. You know, like harder, better, faster, stronger. Like it's cool, yeah. and I love the vocoded vocals on that song and all that. Yeah, you know the robot vocals, which are of course what Daft Punk are known for. Right. But after hearing Cola Bottle Baby, like, I guess the question is, can you ever go back to Harder, Better, Faster, That's Stronger? That's a very good question, and it may be a little tougher. That's true. Um, I think I'd have to l- listen again to the drum, because I think a lot, with a lot of sample music, it's picking out a cool, you know, picking out a cool sample is a fun, something, you know, interesting and compelling in and of itself. Um, but then also like listening to the drum track too, and because you know, yeah, a lot of times you have to make that, you know, you're creating that yourself and yes, layering and. Um, but yeah, is it the most complex uh, song in the world? That Daft Punk song? No, not quite. And that's I think a, a lot of the redeeming factors of hip hop is that, you know, the the simplicity of many hip hop beats and the fact that um, a lot of Hip hop beats will just be like three sam- like a drum sample, uh, you know, uh, like a chord sample, and then maybe like a little melody string sample or something else. Um, you know, at least you have like poetry over top. That's right, <laughs> you know? absolutely. Although one could argue that harder, better, faster, stronger. There's just incredibly minimalistic 
poetry, poetry on top of that as well, right? True. You know, True. sung by Robot Man. He's sung by who, Robot Frenchman. Yeah, ro- the Robot French, <laughs> our favorite type of Frenchman. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> For sure. Oh man, you know, Kyle, this has been so fun. Kai Kai Go Go in the house. Do you think it's stick? I don't know if it's gonna stick. I don't know. We'll see. It, uh, it, it's, it's win-win because either it becomes uh, the cornerstone of our podcast. Or it becomes a uh, like a fun thing that true fans of the epi- of the show will know in that one episode that Louis called me Kai Kai Gogo. <laughs> I love that. It's win win. That's awesome, Kyle. Well, as per usual, this has been so crazy fun. Always talking about this album. I've learned so I learned so much about this album talking about it with you. Mm-hmm. Really, really, really interesting. And as per usual, you you always bring such an incredible knowledge and uh, taste profile of music to this show. I just, I love it, Kyle. It well, makes me so happy. You. Likewise. Yeah, next month, it's an album that, like, literally defines the way I <laughs> look at the world every day of my life. Uh, we're going to talk about Devo's classic Q, are we not men? A, we are Devo. It's going to be a long time coming. It's going to be a whole thing. Yeah, it's going to be really fun, though. So um, can't wait for that. Uh, But in the meantime, um, I'm Louis Perlman. I'm Kyle Gordon. Uh, This is Kick the Jukebox. Catch you on the flip side. Peace. Kick the Jukebox is so much fun. Kyle and Louis are number one. Kick the Jukebox, kick it a rhyme. Talking about music all the time. Oh, yeah!